My eye doctor, of all people, uh, keeps nagging me lately. It's been about a year since I saw this particular eye doctor for the first time, and it might be the last time if they keep sending emails and texts at least every day, it feels like, if not multiple times a day, saying, hey, you need to make an appointment. You know, it's been a year. You know, you need to make an appointment. Come make an appointment. Your eye health is super important. Come on out. You know, make an appointment. And I'm like, you know, I made the appointment. And I had an appointment with you guys in August, and it took us several months and coming back and all those kind of things to get my contacts straightened out. And I, I'm okay for right now. I can wait a couple of more months before I come see you, and I'm not being negligent in my eye health. Whew. If, if you've ever been nagged, if you've ever experienced it, uh, you know, and even if you have tried that as a parenting tool, There we go. If you've ever tried nagging or, or been on the other end of it, you know it's, it's not particularly effective. You know? And if it accomplishes its purposes, it's really debatable as to whether actually it accomplishes its purposes. You know, as my eye doctor nags me, I, I, I don't feel like responding. In fact, I feel like unsubscribing, you know, stopping the texts. I feel pressured, uh, pestered, and nagged. As we come to Mark chapter 4, verses 21 through 25, Mark chapter 4, verses 21 through 25, we're, we're looking and continuing in our series on the parables, and to be technical, these are not parables in and of themselves. They don't have enough story, enough detail. They are parabolic, though. They are sayings with a deeper meaning from what is on the surface. And as we come to this passage, it's... It's, it's about how Jesus works for our good to influence us, to bring about change in our lives, to get us to do what's right and for our best. And one of the most interesting things that struck me this week as I read through this passage again and prepared to look at it and share it with you is that I realized this profound truth. Jesus does not nag. And maybe it was my eye doctor texting me every day that nagging was on my mind, but it's so apparent. Jesus has some of the most important things to say and things that we really ought to listen to and it will go well with us, but he doesn't nag. What does he do? Because he affects change. He brings about transformation somehow. Well, let's see how... He does that. And if you understand here what he's doing, you not only grow in appreciation and respect for Jesus, but you're going to wind up growing in just about every other way possible without feeling pressured or pestered or nagged. So would you read with me here? Mark chapter 4, verses 21 through 25 of God's holy, inspired, life-changing word. Mark 4, 21 to 25. And he was saying to them, a lamp is not brought to be put under a basket, is it? Or under a bed, is it not brought to be put on the lampstand? For nothing is hidden except to be revealed, nor has anything been secret, but that it would come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear 
And he was saying to them, take care of what you listen to. By your standard of measure, it will be measured to you and more will be given you besides. Whoever has, to him more shall be given. And whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken from him. This is God's word. Lord, would you meet us here today? Would you give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts that are ready to receive your word? For it is truth, and it will transform us. And we pray you do just that. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to guess you're probably familiar with nagging. Uh, being pestered to do something, you know, parents, we often nag our kids to clean their room, do the dishes, do their homework, study for the test, get up in the morning, whatever it is, you know. Children sometimes in those, those same households will nag their parents, you know, I want this, I want that, you know, can I have it, can I please, 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 please. Uh, spouses will sometimes nag, you know. Pick up your socks, you know, things like that. I'm blessed to, to not have a nagging wife. In fact, I have told my wife, hey, come closer to nagging. Sometimes I forget things, you know. And she's like, I don't want to nag. And I'm like, you know, push the border a little more. You know, I forget things. I need reminders. And there's a difference. That's an important distinction to realize. To remind someone of something is not necessarily nagging. But this, there's a similarity, too, where nagging tends to be we want something that's good for someone. In fact, it's very often when we see what maybe ought to be done and we have a sense of the timing when it needs to take place and we just don't see things happening. We don't see change occurring or movement. We begin to at least face the temptation to pester or to push, to pressure. And I've noticed something. I don't feel nagged by God. And I can't recall a passage looking through scriptures where Jesus pastored or pushed or nagged. You know, sometimes you might hear a voice that is convicting you. But if it pushes on, borders on nagging and pestering, it's, it's not most likely the voice of God. It might be something that God wants to bring about, but more often than not, it's probably your parents or, you know, yourself, that voice that's there. As we look here, how does Jesus accomplish these good changes in us? You know, how how does he get things to happen? Because Jesus is the best at bringing about change. And he doesn't pester, pressure, push, nag, or anything else. So what's he doing? Well, the first thing to notice, and as we dig into this, I hope it'll teach us not only more about Jesus, I hope it will not only bring about transformation in our own lives, but maybe help us to help each other to bring about change in our lives. So the first thing to understand is is why is Jesus speaking? Why is Jesus speaking? Jesus speaks to help you see. Jesus speaks to help you see. That's what the lamp in this passage is all about. Look at verse 21. He was saying to them, Jesus, 
was saying to them, a lamp is not brought to be put under a basket, is it? Or under a bed? Is it not brought to be put on a lampstand? Now, in those days, they didn't have electricity, right? They didn't have candles. They had lamps. They had oil lamps, usually. And, and the best picture I've seen of it is essentially, you know, thinking of Aladdin's lamp. You know, the, the, the brass-looking thing has curvy ends on it. Something along those lines. That's what they had for a lamp. They would put oil in it. It would be crimped at the ends, and you could put a wick, and you could light the wick, and the wick would slowly draw the oil up, and the lamp would burn. And so to then be able to see in the room, they would have a stand specially made for the lamp. And you would light the lamp, you know, and you put it on the stand in the middle of the room, and you would see what was all around you. Okay, that's a lamp, and you bring it in for that purpose to see, but what is the lamp in this passage? What's the, the parable part of it? What's the deeper understanding that Jesus has in mind for us? Well, the thing we need to know, and as we look at these parables, always to be going back to the context, we, we listen to what he's actually saying, we look for the context, we look for what's surprising, all those kind of things, right? So in the context here, you need to realize we're over in Mark. We have started the parable series in Matthew, and we're essentially walking through putting the pieces together of the different parables. And this passage here that we're looking at doesn't occur in Matthew's gospel. It's over in Luke, and it's here in Mark. But Matthew does not have this account recorded. It follows here in Mark right after the parable of the soil. Jesus has talked about the soils, shared that, and then explained briefly in Mark 4, 10 through 12, just a couple of verses, why he's teaching in parables. Over in Matthew, he had like seven or eight verses going deeper in depth. But here in Mark, it's a real short section in between when he shares the parable he says why he's teaching that way, and then he explains the soils. And then this passage shows up. So you put those things together, and you realize, you know what Jesus is talking about with this light is his own teaching. Jesus is saying that, yes, it's kind of hidden through the parables, but the whole reason I'm speaking is to bring light. I want to help you see just as a lamp is brought into the room, not to be hidden under an object, right? But to be placed upon a stand to allow it to reveal what's present. So Jesus says, I'm speaking, not so that what I say is hidden, but so the truth will help you see what's really all around you, to see the truth. That sounds a little confusing, right? Uh, Jesus, you, you're saying, it sounds like, that that you're speaking to help, but you hide things in parables. And that is what he's saying. And it is confusing. And if you read through the commentaries over the centuries since Jesus spoke these words, you get different opinions and different debates, right? About, oh, is, you know, is he really meant to hiding? Is it really, what's going on here? Uh, but it's actually not that complicated if we stop to think about it a little bit. What's going on here that Jesus is, is hiding things a little bit, and it's all about the timing. He's speaking to help, and the reason it's hidden a little bit for a little while, and for some for a long time, is that it's the timing that matters. He wants to help at the right time. That's the sense of verse 22. Look at verse 22. Nothing is hidden 
except to be revealed. Nor has anything been secret, but that it would come to light. And that, that come to light is actually the verb, <clears throat> excuse me, that the adjective form of, of the verb revealed in, in the Greek. I'm not sure why it doesn't just say revealed and then that it would be revealed. It's the same root word, same sense. Both words, except to be revealed and that it would come to light, both are about something being exposed, revealed publicly to come to light and no longer be hidden. That's why Jesus is speaking, to help you, and that it would be known at the right time. It's not unlike the big reveals that you're very familiar with if you've ever watched TV in like the last 20 years, right? Is that not a common expression, the big reveal? In fact, don't we do that now with like baby genders and stuff? It's like the big reveal, and then sometimes, you know, forest fires are started or something, and then the people go overboard. Different story. Uh, but the big reveal, right? You, you, you watch the HGTV channel and they renovate the house and they tease you the whole time with what it looks like at the end, right? And then the big reveal comes after that last commercial break, right? Same thing with the, uh, the, sh the shows where they try to get a, a, a girl to pick a boy or a boy to pick a girl. You know, they tease the whole time. Who's she going to pick? Who's he going to pick? And at the end, you know, finally, oh, who does she pick? And da -da -da, another commercial break and then the big reveal. It's like a secret you know is coming, and they know you know it, and they manipulate us, right? And they try to make sure they get the maximum advertising revenues, so they keep us through the commercials. It's not unlike that sense of a big reveal without the manipulation, without the commercialism that Jesus is talking about. He is saying, I want you to know and there is something here. There's truth, there's hope, there's reality. And I want you to receive it. And I know you're not going to receive it at the right time. Until the right time, I mean. You're not going to receive it until the right time. When is the right time? We'll talk about that in a second. But I want you to notice this, that, that the hiding and the covering and the veiling, even for a little while, is, is not unkind, it's actually grace. It's, it's an amazing grace that in fact Jesus literally embodies by coming to earth and veiling his glory and only revealing it in part. It's, 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 it's a spiritual reality that's going on here that our spiritual eyes are used to living in the dark. John 1 talks about that. Light comes into the world, but we love darkness. And we don't receive the light. What, what, what's going on is that by nature, we all have our spiritual eyes in the dark, living in dark. And what happens is just like with our physical eyes, right? Our spiritual pupils, the, the black part of the center, right? They get really wide. They dilate, right? And when you're in the dark, what happens? You know, you're, you're straining. Your eyes are trying to pull in anything they can. And your spiritual eyes are doing the same thing because you were made to, to live in the light of God and it's not there. And you were made to live and see the truth and do what is right and good. But in the darkness, you just can't see it very well. And what would happen if then Jesus shows up and throws on the giant spotlight of God's light and holiness? You would just 
fly backwards. You would be in, in physical tears, the analogous part in the spiritual realm, right? You would pull back. Just like I do every time, you know, we, we watch something on TV as a family, right? We're watching a show or a movie or something, turn all the lights out, you know, and it's dark and we're watching and the movie ends. One of the kids inevitably gets up to go somewhere and they just flick on all the lights. And we have like the spotlights like these in the ceiling that come down. There's a little spot. It's like they flick on all four light switches. And I'm like, ah! And so we came up with this rule, like you have to warn. And now the big debate is, well, you know, one, two, dad, are you ready? Lights are coming, dad, you know, and they make fun of me. But that's, 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 it's a similar thing in the spiritual realm. We can't handle the light until we've grown adjusted to it in some ways. And so Jesus is essentially saying, look, I'm choosing my words to make the truth the most accessible to you. That it's there, but you got to look for it. It's coming and will be revealed to you at the right time. He's speaking to help you see at the right time. And then, okay, so what's the right time? This is our second point. The right time, it's the right time if, if, number one, if you attend to his words. It's the right time to understand, to see to be helped by his word if you attend to his words. Look at verse 23. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Verse 24 at the beginning. He was saying to them, take care what you listen to. Literally there, it's take care what you hear. Or even more literally, see or behold what you hear. Mark 4.3. Hear this. 4.9, 4.12, in the parable and the interpretation of the soils, it's about hearing in verse 15, 16, 18, and 20. And then in Mark 4.33, Jesus, uh, Mark says, with many such parables, he, Jesus, was speaking the word to them as far as they were able to hear it. You know, the right time to understand the parables, to understand the word of God, to get the benefit and help from God himself is when you're attending to his words when you're paying attention. In other words, you are responsible. You're responsible for whether you hear or not. You're responsible for what you hear. And you remember the soils, the parable of the soils. Jesus told right before this, we looked at it a couple weeks ago. The issue is the heart. Right? This this light image, this idea here is following right on that idea of the different soils. The seed is coming. Jesus is scattering it, right? And it falls on hard ground sometimes and doesn't go anywhere. Sometimes it falls among those rocks, gets a little bit of soil, pops up, and then withers as soon as the sun comes and the trials come, right? Or then it's sown some among the thorns and the cares of this life. They choke it out, and it never really was there. It didn't have deep roots in any of the circumstances. The soil that has deep roots, the soil that hears and is changed by it, the soil that is ready is the soil that has a, a softness to it to receive the word, to hear the word, to pay attention to it, to let it penetrate 
in deep to give attention. You know, part of the reason as parents that we resort to nagging is in part because we never had the kids' attention to begin with. I was reading a really helpful article this week. I actually summarized their points about nagging there at the bottom of the outline. Avoid nagging with those four things. We don't have time to go into it. I'm, I'm, I saw in this way Jesus is approaching us is very similar. right? And so attending to Jesus is not unlike what you as a parent want from your children. right? If you're going to give them an instruction, you, you ought to have, and you probably shouldn't tell them until you have that eye contact. Right? Until you have their attention. Otherwise, you're wasting your time speaking. Right? My wife is wasting her time speaking, and I'm, I'm culpable. I'm not saying I'm, I'm excused. Right? If my face is down and I'm paying attention to the device, or I'm playing a game and not listening, or reading, or whatever it is. right? And Jesus is, in a sense, saying, look, the right time when you will receive help from me is when you're paying attention when you're actually listening to me, when you're hearing what I have to say. So I would say to you, when when you're trying to pay attention to Jesus, are you paying attention to Jesus? You know, do do you silence the notifications (laughs) on your phone or whatever? Are, Are you trying to push aside the distractions and focus? Are you giving him your attention? And the thing is, It's not just making that space in the eye contact. It's then the second part is not only are you ready to be helped if you attend to his words, but you also have to be ready to do the necessary work. Be willing to do the necessary work, which comes after the attending to. In other words, right, we're willing for the word to not only hit our ears and our brains, but to move us, that we will respond to it. And Jesus knows that, right? Jesus knows how we're going to respond. And he will help when we're paying attention and when we're ready to do the necessary work. When we have expectation that something's going to happen, that his word is going to matter in our lives. In fact, that's the sense of verse 24 at the end where he says, by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. And this is a kind of hard to translate expression because it's, it's literally like three words that are almost identical and a couple of other small words stringing it together. Literally, more literally, it says, with the measure you are measuring, it will be measured to you. With the measure, that word could either be an instrument for measuring, like a yardstick or a measuring rod or a a measuring cup or a basket. In fact, the the basket that Jesus talks about hiding the lamp under, that was a unit of measure called a peck in those days, a peck measure that was about two gallons, nine liters of grain. And so here it's very likely Jesus has that aspect in mind of, of a measuring instrument. The other alternative is that it's the result of measuring, the quantity or the amount, the result that you get from having measured. So it seems to me that the container idea fits well, that Jesus is saying, with the measuring instrument you are measuring, 
it's going to be measured to you. He says something similar about judgment in Matthew 7. He says something similar over in Luke 6. Here the focus is on expectations, it seems. Like what, what are you expecting? What is your frame of reference when you come to Jesus or to God's word? What are you expecting to get out of it? You're like a fisherman, right? And you're going to go out and you're going to catch something. Are you going to take one of those little notebook-sized rulers? You know, this is all a bigger fish than I think I'm getting. Or are you going to take like a 20-foot tape measure? You know, that says something about what you're expecting. Are you going deep-sea fishing and you're going to catch a whale, right? Or are you just going, you know, in, in the goldfish pond and you're going to catch something this big? What is the measure you have in mind? What are you expecting as you come to God's Word? Because he's saying... What you expect to receive from it is what you're going to take away in either direction. If you have small expectations, it's going to get even smaller. If you have big expectations, you're going to get even more than that. What, what do you bring to God's word? What are you expecting? A lot of times, right, we're, we're just expecting to check the box on our list to do our good religious deed for the day. Sometimes we're thinking, I'm going to get some head knowledge. I'm going to finally read the whole Bible and understand the whole big thing. That's not a bad thing. But it's probably not the best thing. Sometimes we're reading the Bible and what we're expecting to get is to have that nagging voice inside our heads be silenced. The guilt or whatever is going on in there to just get it to shut up for a little while because we did the thing. That's not a terrible reason, but it's not what Jesus has in mind here. Those are low expectations. Jesus is asking us to come with a mindset that, that things are going to be different. From having come to him, that he's going to help, that he's going to offer something to us, and he is going to meet us there. And we're going to be different. We're going to be transformed. We're going to be changed from who we were. By spending time listening to him, paying attention to his word, that we then will, will actually walk away doing the work. But we're not going to do that if we're not expecting to meet and be transformed with God himself. And now, you know, even you know, all of us go through the seasons, right, where, where you've had wonderful experiences in God's word. You've prayed, you know, and you just, it's mountaintop, you know, just, oh, you know, weeping and joy and all kinds of powerful experience, right? And we've had those times, most likely, if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, where it's a little dry. You know, and you have to force yourself to read or pray. You know, those things happen, right? And, and there are some things we can do that might have an impact to get us more of the good experience that I think we would all desire to have that life and vitality come from God's word. And I was personally, you know, I've been reading through this Bible plan and it was a one-year plan. I'm now on year four. One-year Bible reading plan. I'm on year four. I read the Bible pretty regularly, okay? Uh, and I wind up going slow and I get distracted. And sometimes it becomes either a chore, a checkbox, or it becomes something where I'm going off and I'm doing word studies, I'm doing pastory, preachery things, right? And I'm not getting something out. 
And, and I, I, I noticed that just this last week even, and I, I at the same time heard this challenge of reading Scripture out loud, even when you're alone. And so I get up early anyway, but I thought, oh, I'll try it. So I'm in the sunroom, you know, nobody's around, I got the lights out, and I'm like reading John 11, and I'm like, Jesus, was Fine, you know, it takes a little while to warm up, and I started reading it out loud. And at the same time, I also heard this challenge of praying what's in the Scripture, not overthinking it, but just literally like what's there, what the words are, and, and whatever almost free association it brings to mind, right, to just start praying some of those things. So John chapter 11 is, is about Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. It's a really long chapter, a ton of wonderful, neat story details, all those kind of things. Very easy to get distracted. But as I was reading out loud through it, I would pause occasionally, and I would say things like, Jesus, you, you, you told this woman you are the resurrection and the life, and that if I believe in that, I will not perish Lord, give me that kind of faith. Lord, here you are, and you waited to come and raise this guy from the dead. You knew what was going to happen, and I know you're going to raise him in a minute. Lord, give me that kind of faith and experience. Give me that kind of understanding and trust in you, Lord. You know, I began to pray for other people that they would experience that by name and just this, this, this life and energy. I began to experience what he says at the end of verse 24. I was looking for more from God and I began to experience verse 24 and more will be given you besides. I never expected that kind of thing, that kind of experience and power. Do you want that? Is that how you would like your time in God's word to go? <coughs> Are you expecting that even? If, if you are expecting that, you, you might then take some more steps. You might every once in a while step back and evaluate what you're doing. Am I, am I doing the best thing possible? Does this make the most sense to get the most out of God's word? Am I even just expecting something or am I just crossing off the list? You might need to switch things up. You know, if you can, I'd strongly encourage you to, to do smaller passages and maybe read them out loud. It feels weird. It does. But go somewhere in a closet or something. Get up early when no one else is around and find a place and, and just even read it softly out loud. <clears throat> Expecting something from God. Pray whatever you find there. You know, join us in this parable series. You know, maybe you slow down so much, you just look at what the next parable is we're looking at next Sunday. You know, the next passage. And you read it this week and meditate on it. You, you go back and re-listen to the message we had a couple weeks ago about a method for understanding the parables of listening and looking and lining up and living out. You know, maybe you need to switch something else there. Because what, what's going on here, what attending to his word and doing the necessary work is all about is, is that, 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 that conception that we bring to the word, where we're at in our minds, that we believe something's going to happen. There's going to be a difference in my life as I come, that I am going to be different. And that then is how you get to our last point, how you get more of what is good. Otherwise, less. You get more of what is good. Look at verse 25. It's about consequences. Whoever has... To him more shall be given. Whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. Whoever has, whoever comes expecting, whoever says, you know what? There is more here for me. You're going to get more. 
If you come with low expectations or you don't come at all, even what you thought you had is going to shrink and disappear. You come, you either will gain more understanding, more insight, you'll gain growth, peace, hope, you'll, you'll have less anxiety, more confidence. If you think about that, if you come with that approach, this totally undoes the whole nagging thing, the guilt thing, the checklist thing, right? If you come to the Word because you're expecting something, if you're coming expecting transformation, you're not coming to check off a list. You're not coming to get rid of the guilty conscience in your mind. You're not coming because someone told you it was a good idea. You're coming for yourself to receive a benefit. And you know what happens? If you get even the tiniest benefit, you go, oh, oh, there's more. You begin to work the muscles, and what happens? You get stronger. It doesn't matter how weak you are to start with. To come with that expectation to say, you know what, if I come, I'm going to get a little bit stronger. And that will bring you some peace and some confidence and some hope. It will undo the despair and anxiety. You'll be willing to take on more, and you will be given more. That's a basic biblical principle, right? The talents in Matthew 25. And you just think about it with children, right? You start them with a sippy cup with a lid, you know, it's leak-proof. They shake it all around, you know, get a little bit in their mouth, you know, they hit their siblings in the head with it, hit themselves with it, you know, little motor control, all those kind of things. You've got to give them the right tool, right? And they can drink. And oh, they learn, oh, this is a drink. They begin drinking, right? And then they, they, want, and they, get, they get that under control, right? And you're like, I think you're ready. Or without a lid, right? Or maybe it's a little bigger hole, you know? And, and they begin to handle that. And you're like, okay, totally lid off. You know, okay, now you can, now you can go from that little high chair thingy. Now you can go to a, a, a bigger chair at the table. And, and maybe, maybe we'll add some, you know, a fork or a spoon. And you can try to handle it yourself. And if you don't poke yourself in the eye too many times, you know, maybe we'll give you the fork. And you can use the fork. And if you learn to use the fork, what? Maybe eventually, you know, we'll give you the knife. You can use the knife. And you show yourself responsible for that, you know, we'll let you cut your own food. And, and you'll, you'll take on this responsibility and you'll learn and grow and you'll feel the satisfaction of growing and maturing and becoming more than what you were. It's the same in the spiritual realm. You know, sometimes if you could just barely, if, you could, if you're just still being spoon fed, maybe it's time to take the spoon, right? Take a little bit of the baby food, put it in. It's okay. You know, maybe, maybe you've got the knife and the fork, you've got the butter knife, and maybe you're trying to saw and things like that. Maybe, maybe you're ready for the steak knife, the sharp knife, right? Maybe you're, you're ready for something a little more challenging. You know, that, that idea, and you can apply it not just to reading God's Word, but to serving. And this is this basic principle that God, and this is why Jesus doesn't add, because God respects you, He values you, he has plans for you. And maybe you've got a voice in your head that was a nagging parent or another relationship, you know, failures or whatever, and, and that's drowning it out. Hear God himself. Hear Jesus himself saying, look, it's in your court. I'm sharing this with you, and I want to share more with you. Are you ready? Are you open? Will you listen? Will you give me your eyes, Jesus says? Will you, will you give me your heart, Jesus says? Because ultimately, you know, that's where it has to start. 
You're not going to get anywhere in any of these things. You're not going to go very far at all. You're going to be those three soils that don't amount to much at all. They have nothing in the end that seemed like they had something, and they have nothing. You're going to have that unless God has gone to work in the heart, and you are actually ready. And there's only one way to find that out. It's to say, Jesus, I'm ready. Jesus, change my heart to fully give it to him. That's really the only work you have to do is to confess your sin and open your heart and say, Jesus, I'm going to trust you. Give me the next step. Give me the next thing. You know, a lot of a lot of times, actually, I think we fail as parents and we resort to nagging because we forget these very things that I'm talking about and the way Jesus works, right? We don't believe that Jesus is speaking to help us see. And so we forget that he says, train up a child in the way he should go. When he's old, he will not depart from it. That, 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 that's what we should be doing. That we ought not to provoke our children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Discipline and instruction bring consequences. Jesus says he's going to bring consequences, right? If you, if, you, if you apply yourself to what he's saying, if you open your heart to him, it, it's going to go better for you. If you don't, it's going to go worse for you. Same thing for us as parents, right? If we discipline, it's hard. And we don't do it because we don't believe his promises. We don't attend to his words and really want to put it into practice. And we don't pay attention to enacting those consequences. But there's hope. And we can change. And if you want to change as a parent, the place to start is with God's word. Coming to it expectantly, saying, you know what? I think you have something for me to be a better parent in here, Jesus. If you want to be a better spouse, I think there's something in here, Jesus, for me to be a better husband, a better wife. Children, there's stuff in here for you to be a better child. Employees, employers, pastors, elders, deacons, Sunday school teachers, neighbors, community leaders, doctors, nurses. There is stuff in here that will make each of us better if, if we come expectantly. If we come to take advantage of what Jesus offers, because he's here to help you see. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I thank you so much that your word is so consistent in bringing us human beings dignity and value and respect and honor. You, you, you treat us, no matter where we are in our spiritual journey, you treat us better than we treat each other. Lord, you, you treat your enemies better than we sometimes treat fellow believers. That you so understand what you made us for. You understand the purpose of humanity that you so value and love us that you came among us to help us by teaching and speaking, Lord, but even more than that, to give your life for our sins. 
to remain under the power of death and rise victorious over, to send your spirit to live within us, breaking up the hard soil of our hearts that we might receive, that we might pay attention, that we might listen to you, that you might continue to use your word to transform us, that journey that will never end until we are with you and you finish the good work you began in us. Oh Lord, would you continue that work today? Help us to be better parents, better spouses, to be better children, employees, to be better single people, to be better all around, Lord. We ask your grace that you would meet us and we would expect you to. In Jesus' name, amen.